I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts 17. And today's portion of God's Word that we will be considering is from verse 10 to verse 15. Acts 17, from verse 10 to verse 15. Let us hear the word of God together. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed and also not a few of the Greeks, preeminent women, as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there and also uh, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. But both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a, a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. May the Lord be pleased to add his blessing to the reading of his word. I don't know exactly which Bible translation you're using this, uh, this morning. Uh, I do have an issue with the, the way that the New King James here calls the, the Bereans to be uh, fair-minded. I don't know if, you, if you, in your New King James version it has a footnote saying that literally the word for fair-minded is the word noble. In fact, the AV, and the, the scripture on this uh, that was, or the, the translation that was used for many centuries here in England, calls the, the Bereans noble. And I think we don't need to change it. We all understand what noble means, right? But just by, if you don't, I'll explain it to you. To be noble in some countries uh, means that you are a part of... Nobility means that you are a part of a higher social class. Here in England, in particular, to be a noble person means that you are of a higher standing, just below royalty, but certainly above the, the, the lower classes, the... the the, the, the normal folk, the peasants, we could say. But I don't think that is the, the point that Luke is trying to make here. No, I know that that is not the point that Luke is trying to make here. He's not trying to say that the Bereans, because of their birth, they were noble. He's trying to say, as so often is the case, that by virtue of their moral uh, excellence of character some people are called to be noble to have a noble standing to have a, a noble uh, recognition by virtue of, of integrity or justice of com compassion people can be called to be noble but if a person is very altruistic a person can be called a noble person and here Luke is calling these men and women of Berea, of Berea, noble. Why? I believe that he is trying to emphasize a higher quality that these men 
has, especially in comparison to those of Thessalonica. What is it? It's that they were willing to receive the word of God. They were willing to receive the preached gospel of Christ without prejudice, without thinking uh, themselves too high. They were, in this sense, the translation is uh, synonymous. They were more fair-minded, they were more open-minded to receive God's word. And this is far from being just a mere historical observation. Usually we have to be very careful, don't we, when we come to the book of Acts, to understand what is a historical record that is there for us to know the history of the church from what is more than just a historical record, from what is recorded there for our instruction. All of it, all of Acts is recorded for our instruction, but not everything that is happening in Acts is meant to be instructive for us in our practice. Does that make sense? We are to be instructed by those things that we see recorded, but they are not in the sense instructive. We see things happening that don't necessarily need to happen. In fact, as we move through the history of the church, through the, the New Testament, you find that some of the practices that were happening in Acts were very much confined, restrained to that particular period. And that later on in the epistles, we see the instruction on how the church is to behave and to act. But we'll have time to look at that. I believe that this passage, look under the inspiration of the Spirit, is telling us this, so that we would see something of instruction for us in particular. He is extolling the Bereans about how they listened, how they heard, how they searched the Word, so that we might as well do it in such a way. So today my sermon is a sermon about how to listen to a sermon. How do you listen to the word of God? I want, to, want us to look quickly at the context and at, at the, the different elements here. Because I really want to spend some time considering the example of the Bereans and our own example or our own experience of God's word. So in three points I want to look at the, the text by way of explaining it and then we will move to some applicatory use of this text. Firstly I want to look at the circumstances. Paul, uh, Timothy and Silas left uh, Thessalonica and we read that by night in the providence of God they came to Berea. Berea. Nothing is said of why uh, Timothy had to flee as well. Or how Timothy, in this case, how Timothy came into being, uh, to being in, with this group of Paul and Silas at this time. Because it was mostly Paul and Silas who had to flee. Or it was Paul and Silas that we are told had to flee. Perhaps it's uh, Timothy's timidity. We know from... Uh, Paul's letters that Tim, uh, Timothy was quite a timid individual and because of his timidity probably he would be uh, flying under the radar of those who were persecuting mostly Paul and Silas because of their outspokenness. 
Is it possible? It is possible that this is the case. And they, but they flee from Thessalonica towards um, Berea. Berea was located, uh, if you want later or now to look at the maps, uh, about 80 kilometers southeast of, of uh, Thessalonica. And we are told that when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And we are told that they were more fair-minded than, the, than them. But I, I really want to emphasize here, before we move on to the next point, Paul's unstoppable force in moving forward. You can see that Paul is unwilling to stop at any point. He just goes and moves constantly and constantly forward. I like the words of John Calvin when he comments on this passage. He says that the constancy of Paul is incredible because having had such experience of their stubbornness and malice of his nation, he doth never cease to try whether he can bring any to Christ. Again, in, 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 in fair play to Paul, that's what he does. He just experienced his own countrymen being uh, against him in Thessalonica. He comes to a new city. He goes to his countrymen first again. So all the servants of Christ, so all of us must also wrestle, John Calvin says, with the malice of the world, that they, that they shake not off Christ's yoke with what injuries soever they be provoked with. Just like Paul, if we are provoked, if we are injured, if we are reviled, we are to shake those things off in order not to shake the yoke that Christ has put upon us. We all have a mission given by God that we need to fulfill in this world. And we are told, number two, that there was a great reception that, uh, to the word of God in, in uh, Berea, in 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 contrast with Thessalonica, the reception was very good. But Luke calls them noble. Luke calls them to be, uh, as the, in our translation, fair-minded. Some, some, some that have received the word with nobility. And, we know, and here it's quite brief. We are not told by Luke what is the message. The message has already been explained in other passages up until now. Luke here, as a good historian, he is not to detract from the message or from the point that he's trying to make here. He doesn't point to any other thing. He's pointing to the reception of the Bereans. Of the Bereans. He concentrates on the, how they receive the word. And he says, they received it with readiness. They received the word with readiness. That's what made them noble. They received it with interest. They received it with desire, with eagerness and enthusiasm. It says that they were diligent in receiving it. That they investigated daily the scriptures. In these times, they were not as fortunate as we are in the 21st century that we have each and every one of us multiple translations of the Bible. Not only in paper form, but in, in our phones and in, in all kinds of devices we can have the Bibles. In the days of Paul in Berea, in Berea he, they were not as fortunate. So if they wanted to search the scriptures daily, they would have to go back to the synagogue daily 
because the scrolls I don't know if you've ever seen a, a Jewish scroll of the of the of the old of the Tanakh it, it is they are massive scrolls they, it's not something that you would have commonly in your household they are, they are quite difficult to to copy quite expensive to have but with diligence they went daily to the synagogue to look at the Old Testament to make sure that these things that Paul was speaking of were so and thirdly in the, in, to mark their reception they received it without prejudice they received it without prejudice that is, they, they had no a priori decision made in their minds about the truthfulness or the falseness of the message that Paul was proclaiming. They took Paul's teaching about the identity and nature of the work of Christ as, as it was. They took it seriously. And they scrutinized, they searched, they, they, they researched his argumentation daily. They wanted to verify the genuineness. So they were receiving the word without prejudice. And the result was, number three, that many of them were saved. There is a, a conjunction here when you get to verse 12 that says, Therefore, for this reason, because they were so diligent, because they were so, so open, because they were so noble, because they were so ready to receive and so, and so clear and eager and desirous of this, therefore, many of them believed. Therefore, many of them believed. God does honor, brothers and sisters, God does honor open... Uh, 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 a humble investigation an honest investigation of his truth and as a consequence of this enthusiastic, diligent, ready uh, unhindered investigation many of them believed the response to Paul's preaching was fruitful just as it was fruitful in Thessalonica but in this case among the Jews it was particularly fruitful We don't need any introduction to the Bereans, do we? We all know of the Bereans. We, we, it is one of those very familiar uh, groups uh, of people in, in Scripture. They, 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 they became remarkable in Christian circles. We all talk to, uh, about being uh, as a Berean. When we hear the Word of God, we need to be as Bereans. For Bereans, Scripture was foundational, relevant and precious but there was another reaction right we read that the jews from thessalonica came over and stirred up the crowd they 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 were not content that that paul silas and, and silas and timothy were preaching so they came and they stirred up the crowd they were trying to to impede paul from preaching to the bereans And we read in verse 14 that immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. But both Silas and Timothy remained there. Silas and Timothy apparently were not a target of this intense persecution. So they stay. Although they will quickly make their way back to, to Paul in, in Athens. And that when you read, 
the, the letters of the New Testament and you see all these conversations. Can you send Timothy to me? Or Timothy is there with you? Those kinds of things. It's, it's this that is happening. Paul is having to make the plans on the fly. Things are happening. And sometimes he has to seemingly retreat. But it's not really a retreat, is it? As you read through the scripture, you understand that Paul, as he is forced to go away from Berea, Berea, he, he gets to Athens. So it's not a retreat, it's a breakthrough. Paul is, doesn't know the word retreat, it's not in his dictionary. He escapes from, from Berea and he gets to Athens, the city center of Greek Roman culture. It's like a forest fire. If there's a way that you could see the, uh, this, the story of Acts or visualize it in an illustration from Acts 1 to Acts uh, 28, it's a forest fire. It's just, it, it's unstoppable. The, 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 the persecutors, the, the opposers are trying to stop and quench the flames here. But as they stop it here, it's just, it's already spreading there. Too late. You put it out in one place, or you try to put it out in one place, and it springs up in the other. You know that famous missionary, David Livingstone, the missionary and explorer, he had a, a saying that, uh, that I will go anywhere as long as it is forward. That's how Paul was. I'll go anywhere as long as it is forward. So this is the, what's been happening, or what happened in this very short, summarized account that Luke gives us of the ministry of Paul in Berea. It's somewhat concise, but it's, as Alexander McLaren used to say, pregnant with application for us. So what are the, the lessons that we can learn? There are many of them, but I will focus on, on just one. There are lessons related to the preeminence of preaching the gospel in missionary work. There are lessons about the relevance of using and the importance of using scripture. But I will only tell, uh, say this. Preaching the gospel is the main work of the church. The only work, you could say, of the church. Christians are called to do a lot of things. We are told by James that Christian religion is to also take care of the widows and the orphans. But the work of the church as a community is to preach the gospel. Paul says to Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. That is the message that we preach. But the, message, the, the main application that I want to bring is the one that I said in the beginning, how do we listen to the word of God? Do we listen to the word of God? Why is it that we are so blasé about it? Shouldn't we learn from the Bereans? Shouldn't we learn from the commendation that Luke gives of the Bereans to receive the preaching of the word with more readiness, with more happiness, with more diligence in our hearts? Do we really believe what we say we believe about the preached word of God. That as the minister, in this case me today here preaching, uh, uh, preach the word, and in as much as I'm preaching 
faithfully to what scripture says it is God himself who is speaking through the 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 frail vessel of the minister do you believe this do you uh, do you prepare yourself for these things do you receive it with readiness What is it about the Bereans that made them so noble? Well, it is that they received the word. They received the word with readiness, with eagerness. Do you receive the word with readiness and eagerness? Do you, do, do you prepare yourself to receive it with eagerness? You see, for the, for the, for the Bereans, the, what, they were, what was happening in this... Uh, as Paul was preaching, it's not a mere academical exercise. They weren't having their, their, their academical interests uh, being piqued and, and uh, interest and curious and trying to learn uh, something. It wasn't just that they loved to debate. No, they understood that this man is telling us something that is important. If he's speaking the truth, I need to listen. If he's not, if he's not, if he's not speaking the truth, I need to know. But the message is that important. Isn't it true that when we have something that we look forward to, that we get ready, that we, uh, I was just speaking with a brother just before this, the, the service actually, about holidays. You book holidays, and immediately as you book the holidays, something clicks in your mind, and it's like, Everything just starts focusing. To, if you still have a few months of work, it's like you're working, but you're already with your mindset on the, on, the, on, the, on the holidays to come. Or it might be a sports event. You're going to a, a football match, or you're going to a concert, or you're going to this. And your mind is eager for that to happen. You're preparing yourself. You're wanting, you're desiring, you're ready. And even as you're enjoying it, you're attentive. And as you, in, after the, 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 the event happened, you remember it, you cherish it, you, you think about it, you cannot talk about anything else. Why is it that we can become so eager about these things, so prepared and so clearly desirous of these things, but when it comes to hearing the word of God, we're so blasé. Isn't that the case? Do we approach a sermon in the same way? If you were watching a football match, you would be eager on the edge of your seats. You would, you would be uh, desiring to... Well, it depends if you like football. Maybe some of you wouldn't. I'm sure I wouldn't as well. But, but if you're seeing or, or watching something that you really love, you're on the edge of your seat. You're, you're, on, you're on the top of your game. You're not, you're not allowing your mind to, to wander off into different ways. You want to pay attention to that thing that you love and desire. How different is that from the way we approach a sermon? Even our body language t tells us, betrays our, our eagerness. I'm not saying that, yes, sermons can be dull and lifeless. And trust me, I know that I can be dull and lifeless at times when I'm preaching. I'm not, I'm not, but that's not an excuse for those listening, is it? Because it's more than just a person. You're not there because of the person preaching. You're not. I'm hoping you're not here because of me or because of, uh, of the way I preach. I'm hoping that you are here because the God I preach to you. It's about Him. 
We might talk in another occasion about how to preach a biblical sermon, but today I want to talk about how to listen to a sermon. How to listen with eagerness. Because these Bereans, they received it with eagerness. They were ready to receive it. They esteemed that the preaching was important. And they were eager and ready to receive it. Do you have a sense of expectancy that God is going to speak to you when it comes to preaching? Do you prepare yourself? We need to prepare ourselves beforehand. The Bereans were not expectant because of Paul was a visiting preacher, what you see is that this is the kind of attitude that they already had. The reason why they're having this attitude with Paul's message as Paul arrives in Berea is because they're already prepared, they're already predisposed to having that kind of attitude with anything when it comes to God's word. And like them, we need to cultivate this kind of discipline. We need to cultivate this kind of desire. I think one of the greatest sins of the modern church is that we don't love the Word of God enough. That we don't desire it enough. That we think, okay, I've ticked the box of listening to a sermon this week. I can go on my happy, merry way the rest of the week. And we don't desire. We don't love. We're not like the psalmist. In Psalm 119 that says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Is that the case for you? Do you prepare yourself? You know the cure to being sleepy in the sermon, albeit the pastor and the, and the preacher might be dull and, and, and lifeless at times. The cure to being sleepy is to prepare yourself on a Saturday. Because you're expecting tomorrow I'm going to the house of God. I'm going to meet with God. And God is going to, pre is going to speak through the preacher. He's keeping your feet, as Richard Steele, the Puritan, used to say, keeping your feet when one goes to the house of God or service of God so that we would not stumble or offer the sacrifice of fools. He later on says, when the heart is well fixed and prepared for the Lord's service, an impertinent thought or suggestion falls on our armor, but when an impertinent thought or suggestion falls on our armor, but when we come unprepared, it meets with our very hearts and runs away with them. What is what is Richard still saying? Well, when our heart is well prepared, if there's a, a distraction, oh well, it will fall in our armor. The bird will land on our heads, but because we're prepared, we'll shoo it away and we won't allow it to, to make a nest. It won't go into our hearts. It won't distract us. We will be truly prepared to fight it off. We are powerless to resist idle thoughts, aren't we? 
It happens as we hear a sermon, and I know this because I sit and I listen to, not as often as I would want to nowadays, but I, I love the fact when I can sit and listen and just receive the word of God. But we are often distracted. There's often things that come into our heads. And we can, and we should chew them away. Switch off the phone so it doesn't vibrate and you don't feel the need to, to go and check uh, if what, what message is it. It can wait, I'm sure. Or switch off the, uh, the distractions in your head. Don't think about lunch that is coming. Oh, the preacher is preaching a little bit too long today. Lunch is going to be late. Oh, dear. One thing that I do, I'll give you a practical example. One thing that I do, and it doesn't work for everyone, I'm sure... I'm not passing this on as uh, the cure for all evils. For me, it helps me to take notes. So when I'm listening to someone preach, it's not that I'm trying to, to, to be more academical, but because I'm such a bad listener, and you know about this, uh, I need to take notes so I can follow a, tra a train of thought and not allow myself to, to wander off. It might be that for you it works. What it means to hear a sermon, to receive a sermon. I, read, I was reading this week through Thomas Watson, and he speaks about uh, offering violence to our bodies. What he's trying to say when he listens to a sermon, what he's trying to say is that it is most unnatural to our flesh to want to listen to a sermon. There are things working against us when we are listening to a sermon. And he says, we need to offer violence. We need to fight it. That's what he's saying. We need to mortify those desires. We need to stir ourselves up to hear with devotion, to consider. And he says a few things that are so interesting. He tells us that we need to remember that it is God that speaks to us. If a judge was to charge upon the bench, to, to give a charge upon the bench, all would listen. If a king was going to speak, all or the queen in this case, will all would give attention. Hebrews twelve twenty five says that it is Christ who speaks through the ministers, as a king speaks through his ambassadors. Shouldn't we have the same desire as Samuel? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Because if you don't listen, if you don't pay attention to when he speaks in mercy and grace and kindness and in his goodness, he will have to, to listen when he will speak, as Psalm 2 says, in his wrath. Consider that those things that you do not regard, you will not remember. You know the parable of, of the sower, when, when the seed is planted... The, the birds of the air come and they pluck off the, those seeds. If you're not regarding the word of God as it is being preached, the devil, devil will send his birds of prey or his birds of, uh, to collect those small seeds. You will not remember it. What was it really that the, the sermon about this morning? I don't remember. wasn't paying much attention. Of course you won't grow and mature in the faith. How many have, of us have been robbed? of the sermon and of the goodness for our souls because we are not regarding the word of God as we should. 
You know that Satan, he would love to distract you in this way. In fact, I would say even more. Satan is more assiduous in the service than many of us are. And he, will, he does come in. And he does work in trying to distract you. In trying to take your minds off. Think about everything else. Distract yourself about anything else. Why does he do that? Because he wants to destroy the work of God. He wants to bring destruction. He comes to church where he wants to take the word away from men. Don't let him do that. The Bereans received the word and searched the word. They researched, they examined it. The Bereans searched the scripture from them, for themselves. They wanted more. They loved the word. They knew the importance and they wanted more. Doesn't it betray us as well? How often, how much we lack the desire to search the word of God in our, only, uh, in our own day. At least you should encourage us to open up our Bibles a little bit more. It also tells us that, yes, there are parts of Scripture that need to be, be researched. That although, as our confession says, that although all Scripture is... Uh, clear in the, in, the, in the matters of salvation. Our confession says that all things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves. They are not are alike clear unto all. Yet those things that are necessary to be known, believed and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and open in some place of Scripture or other that not only the learned but the unlearned in due use of the ordinary means may attain to, into sufficient understanding of them. There are passages in the Bible that are difficult for us to understand. That's why we need to search them. That's why we need to research them. That's why we need to wrestle with them to make sense out of them. We should search our scriptures more. Spend more time preparing, hearing, listening, searching, and responding, finally. The Bereans not only received and researched the word of God, they also responded to the word of God. And as a result, many of them believed. Many of them believed. There, were op there was opposition, certainly, but many of them believed. Let's not be just hearers of the word. Let's be doers of the word. There's more here that I would want to say, but let me just finish with these questions. In the end, the question is this. Do you submit to the word of God? Do you submit to what is true if God teaches it? 
How do you know that? Will you trust the pastor? That's hardly not a good way of going about it. I may come up here and tell you a lot of different things. How will you know that what the pastor, the preacher, on any given Sunday, the book you're reading during the week as a devotional, how will you know that those things are true? Are you going to be like, like a, that person who is tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, not being able to discern what is the truth that God wants you to know? Ultimately, the only way you know is if you're diligent and search the scriptures and pray that the Spirit will illumine your heart to understand it. Ultimately, the only way you will know is if you submit to the authority of Scripture. To turn to your Bible, to examine it. You have no excuse. You know when the Word of God says that to those whom much is given, much will be required of them. You understand what that means for us. Think about it. Think about the access that we have to the Word of God in our own age. An access that is exponentially a thousand, a million times greater than the access of those that came 200 years ago. ago. To whom much is given, much is required. You have, in English, how many translations we have nowadays? Dozens upon dozens of translations. There was a time where people were, didn't even have the word in their own language. In English. We have many books. We have access to the internet where we can listen to many sermons. Many churches. To whom much is given, much will be required. I'm sure you all have a copy of the Bible. Does it sit there lying in your, in your bedroom, in your coffee table? Are you just a hearer, Sunday hearer? As, jo as James used to say, or uh, said, wrote, uh, are you a hearer of the word only and not a doer of the word? This story told this story told about an old Puritan. Upon preaching I don't know if he's a Puritan. I forgot his name as well. So I'm not gonna call him a Puritan. But this old preacher he was speaking of about very much the same subject that I'm speaking to you today. The negligence of the people of God towards the Word of God. And he says this is recorded for us by, I think, Thomas Goodwin. He was there present in the, in the assembly as the preacher uh, does this. And you think, oh, the Puritans, all these uh, very dour kind of people. I just learned a very dour, very somber, very... No, he actually mimic. He, he theatrically dramatized the situation in front of the eyes of the congregation. He picked up the Bible, and I'm going to butcher the... Because I'm paraphrasing it. Uh, I didn't write this down. But he picks up the Bible and he says to the congregation, why is it that the Bible 
lies closed in your homes. And he puts himself in the place of God as he's preaching this. And he says, I will take your Bible away from you because you don't read my word. I will take it away from you. I will take it away. You don't deserve it. I will take it away. And then he puts himself in the place of the congregation, kind of like an intermediary. And he says, as if he's the congregation, please, Lord, spare us your word. Don't take your word away from us. We promise we will read it. And with tears in his eyes, he's saying this. And God says, okay, one last time. I will allow you to remain with your word. Do you understand the the glory of having the word of God in your hands. When James says in his epistle to the to the believers, he says, and I'll close by reading it. Help if I was in James. <clears throat> James chapter 1. He says, So then, my beloved brethren, let, uh, no, let me read from verse 18. Verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and perfect gift is from the Father above and comes down to the, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, by his word, that we may be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And then he says, therefore, so then, brothers, so then, beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man, man does not produce the righteousness of God. Because you have been brought forth by the word of truth. He says, be swift to hear. What is James saying? Is he just giving us day-to-day easy, uh, uh, how, how to be good in our social uh, relationships? I'll be swift to hear, be slow to speak. That, that does apply. No. James is saying, because you have been regenerated by the word. Therefore, be quick to hear the word. He goes on to say, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. What is Paul, what is James trying to say to us? Be quick to listen. Be quick to listen to the word of God. You see, you could say that the Christian is bred brought out, born out of the word. But the Christian must also be nourished, fed in it and by it. May the Lord help us to do so. Amen.